People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. This is Rodney Trudgeon inviting you to this week's edition of People of Note. And as you will have heard, um, over this lockdown period where some people are afraid to come into the studio because of its uh, intimate nature, I've discovered that some of our presenters have the most amazing stories to tell. And this week is no exception. One of the more eccentric people that I've met in my life is Shiloh Noon, radio presenter, poet and music aficionado, who achieved a four-star Rolling Stone Award for his rock history book, Seeker's Guide to the Rhythm of Yesteryear. His Arthur Lee-inspired poetry book, 42 for the Chosen Few, was celebrated with a foreword by U.S. human rights attorney Tom Rapp. Shiloh now lives in Onrus near Cape Town, where he runs his Machana Tribal Arts Museum and Lodge. And for many years, Shiloh presented a program called Songcatcher here on Fine Music Radio. So, Shiloh, it's good to have you on the other side of the microphone and to be talking to you about your new book. Welcome. Good day, and to all the listeners out there. It's good to hear your voice again on the old FMR. Thank you, thank you. You are still broadcasting, though, aren't you? You work for, shall we say, another radio station. Another radio station, correct. Doing the same sort of thing as Songcatcher was? Not at all. It's largely hits from the 60s and 70s and obscure tracks. Nothing quite like Songcatcher. Okay. This book, Seeker's Guide to the Rhythm of Yesteryear, seems to be a bit of a, have been quite a, a thing in your life because it kind of rocketed you to fame, didn't it? Correct. It took about uh, 20 years in, in total to really say I've now reached that point where there's no more amendments. There were five amendments to the book, and it took about five years before Rolling Stone came forward and gave me the review. London's record collector, which I hold in higher regard, they, higher, than, higher than Rolling Stone. Yes, I do. Yeah. And, and they actually gave me a four-star review three years previous. Yeah. But the book itself, because it's a print-on-demand, there was no editor that would have been able to handle The cost would have been over the top. So not only did I have to have, be factually correct, but it took many years of re-editing the book to achieve what it's actually standing at now, which is, I think, the perfect history rock book. So uh, what sort of person would read it, a person who's interested in rock and the background of rock, whether they're a musician or just a listener? People that are interested in blues, folk music, minimalism, all the, the different genres, surf guitar, which Quentin Tarantino gave a lot of gravity to, early rock and roll 50s, uh, folk music, obviously, mm -hmm. psychedelia, which is a very taboo subject, and progressive rock. So very much the cross the spectrum. So all these genres you mentioned now, um, you seem to n know something about and enjoy. And at the same time, you like the more gentle style of music, the folk style that you gave us on Songcatcher. I'm a romantist, so I've always loved acoustic <laughs> you music. You yourself as a romantist. Yes, I am. I love <clears throat> acoustic music. Okay. It's, it's, Rodney, for me, acoustic music is it's, it's a type of music that I just find very spiritual it's probably some of the first music ever made was acoustically. Mm -hmm. So uh, not that I'm against electric, but acoustic music is the kind of music you can play around a fire. And I just think that it's, it's, it's grounded music. 
it gives a person also very often a kind of, um, how can I say, you speak about it being grounded. It can make you feel at home. It's sort of from the roots of your country, really, isn't it? I think globally from the roots. Mm. If you look at uh, music in itself, I mean, the first music, probably uh, praise music, moving into songs sung around a fire about victories, about folklore, and obviously the first instruments, uh, which probably all have roots in heavenly dimensions, if you talk about the cherubims and the lyre and all that. But these musical instruments were very acoustic. And, of course, they had a, a, a tone and a drone, which was actually quite spiritual. In many cases, a lot of the tribal people used drone to try and open portals and stuff. So there's a lot about music we don't understand. And you personally, Shiloh, and I know we'll go into more about your life in a moment because we've got to talk about your book. Shiloh has just released a book which we're coming to. Um, did you play an instrument or what? Were, how did you get involved with this I started about playing the Indian sitar, which is not very popular, uh, only because I ended up in an ashram in Kato Ridge, a Hare Krishna ashram, and then uh, later another year and a half in an ashram in India, and that was the only instrument allowed. So I started tinkering with the Indian sitar. And when I got back here, I had lessons under a Mr. Prach. And I used to sneak in on a Sunday evening. It was against the law to uh, drive in after hours into that area with the curfews back in the 70s. I'd sneak into Mr. Prach. And I remember his wife used to make wonderful samosas, <laughs> which I completed. The, I, f- I finished the whole bowl. And uh, I did that for almost two years. And then finally it dawned upon me, you know, the trouble with an Indian sitar, you've got to sit half lotus. And once you can't sit half lotus, it becomes awkward. And then also, also many of the instruments today now produce the same sound as an Indian sitar, mm-hmm. like the coral and so forth. So I kind of lost uh, – it, it was very hip in my time. And around about 1984, it became just awkward. Okay. And I wasn't very good. <laughs> Especially the lotus position. No, I sure. couldn't do that in 86. <laughs> but how did you move from a sitar and ashrams and Indian spirituality to rock music? Or are you going to tell me there's a link? Well, the, 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 I would call the whole Eastern intrigue, apart from being very fashionable, it was a healing process for me after the military and the whole political thing that was happening here. It was very traumatic for me, my matric year, because I was uh, at a high school here in Cape Town. And I remember diving into the uh, the fish pond in the gardens with a tear gas in my eyes, which didn't help. Hmm. you know. And, and so for me, it was just an escapism. And then afterwards, I moved away from Eastern Intrigue. Uh, to a more Christian Zionist uh, embrace. And, of course, then the whole rock music thing kicked in quite heavily. Okay. Well, as I said, I want to talk to you about your new book, first of all. But let's have a piece of music, and are we going to have a taste of Songcatcher here? This is definitely a taste. It's called uh, Carpet of the Sun by the group Renaissance. Annie Huslam's the vocalist. She has the most beautiful voice, and for me it's a very spiritual song.
There's a reminder of my guest Shiloh Noon and his program Songcatcher with that song called Carpet of the Sun, performed by Renaissance, a Renaissance. wonderful progressive band. Annie Hustler, of course, an incredible vocalist. It's a very bright album and it came out around about 1973. Progressive, but different because classical piano backed by this beautiful voice and it was just different to rock music. You couldn't mm. classify it as rock music. One question I'm not going to ask you is which is your favorite genre, because I don't think of music, because maybe you won't be able to answer that. Folk music. Oh, really? Oh, that was quick. Yes. Okay. Shiloh Noon, yes, is my guest. Now, I've been telling you about Shiloh and the book he wrote about rock music, um, Seeker's Guide to the Room of Yesia, but you've also written books on poetry and sort of novels. And what we're talking about this week specifically is your latest novel. And it is a novel, isn't it? It's an African novel. It's an correct. African novel. And it has an intriguing title, A Bicycle, A Chess Set, An African River. And from what I've seen and read of this book, it almost seems as though it's living in a kind of parallel universe because every now and again you refer to political events and people of the day, but at the same time there's this sort of um, almost mystical circumstance you find yourself in with these people teaching them to play chess. So if I were to ask you what the purpose of this book was or what we can expect from it. How, how would you describe this book before we go into any more detail? Well, I wanted a book to bring light into people's lives, and I believe chess can heal Africa, not completely, but to a strong degree. It was proven in the Bronx, where a lot of gangsters were, were, were taught chess, and uh, an incredible thing happened in the Bronx. There's a well-known movie about it called Knights of the Bronx, and that was under a group called Chess for Change. And for me, 
you know, so many political books, and yes, probably all correct, but no justice ever comes to those that are guilty. And I think I've always felt people were getting tired of this. You know, you go and read this incredible book about all these people that were corrupt, but nothing ever happens. They're still driving around in their big black BMWs. So I wanted a book that could change people's lives and make them rethink Africa and the beauty of Africa, because we're reminded about the sadness of, Af- of Africa, but there's a lot of beauty in Africa that we don't see. Mm. And this, because I've traveled around Africa, and I don't necessarily mean South Africa, I have experienced, I've lived in Malawi, I've lived in Kenya, and I've lived in, in Rhodesia, Zimbabwe. I experienced a lot of African beauty, and I believe a lot of mysteries, and a lot of inner beauty, and along with those mysteries, if you discover them, there's a, you have to have a sense of humility. People, you have to become like a child to really understand the beauty of Africa. And those mysteries only reveal themselves in times of stress or if you're actually very humble. So people, they miss them. You quite often say in the book um, that you've got to understand Africa, but you've also got to be careful of it. You know, um, you've got to be careful of things that are poison. You mentioned a whole thing. You know, you, you, it's so easy to get into trouble, let alone crocodiles and hippos. But you've got to understand Africa and you've got to admire it and think, gosh, I'm dealing with something huge. Correct. You have, to touch, you have to touch lightly. If you speak to a diver, hmm. he will tell you you can get so caught up easily in the beauty of what is under the sea. But there's hidden danger there. Hmm. And it's the same with Africa, you know, or the Amazon for that matter. You don't just touch the bark on the tree. You'll, you'll lose a cuticle. That which is bright and colorful, is there's a reason for it. Hmm. And there are so many things. I'm, I'm reminded of the old Tamburti wood during the Boer War that the Boer would actually cut up neatly for the British, knowing that if you braai or barbecue that wood, you're going to have serious stomach problems. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the British didn't know that. So, you know, knowing Africa is a, is a great advantage in many ways. And you feel that you've got to know Africa, judging from this book, because you write with tremendous authority on the African mood, the African sky, the African smell, the African dangers. Indeed. There's so much we don't know. I think just the other day they discovered that the DNA of a jackal comes from a European wolf. Now, for years, we've never known that. Hmm. And it goes on. And the other day they discovered that the hyena is a sleuth hunter. He's not a cowardly scavenger. So how long did it take for the world to actually understand this? So by the same token, there are many, many mysteries and, and signs all around us. But we don't see the signs because we're not grounded. We are caught up in cell phones and Wi-Fi and and social media and so forth. But you're also quite critical of education. I mean, you say a few times you said they don't teach you that in the history books. A lot of our history books have been curtailed. A lot of facts have been removed. And I'm specifically talking about the Anglo-Zulu War, for example, Mm. Uh, the reasons why and wherefore, why they invaded Zululand. I'm very strong on that. And also, a lot of the history of Africa hasn't been recorded in history books. It could be because they were naive and only recently. So the updates are pretty bad. Yeah. Even th- That's what I love about Wikipedia, for example, is there are continual updates. And that is, I think Africa needs to be updated. Uh, Africa is not a flash drive. It's art and form, and it changes all the time. And this is where people from Europe, possibly don't understand or America that this is not a flash drive nation. The old ways are still very special.
And you underline the fact that it's the oldest continent on which people have lived on the planet. The oldest continent. Mathematics started here. It didn't start with the Greeks. It's been proven over and over. Now, how do you find that? How do you get to that conclusion? Well, if you go and read, for example, let's go to Mali, okay, to the Dogon tribe, who claim they have history with a group called the Nimo from a dwarf star, which is only the dwarf star was Sirius B was only discovered in the 1940s by two French astronomers. Now, that is uh, the museum in Mali it was sponsored by the South African government during the time when Tabu Mabiki was in charge. Mm-hmm. They find mathematical manuscripts going back 67,000 years ago. Now, that is pretty ancient. Fair enough. And, and, and I can go one step further by saying how many people know that Lord Zheng Hu from China landed in the 11th century at Table Mountain and took lions off the mountain? How many people know that the Hindus who could navigate with their thumb Landed here 5,000 years ago and gave the Khoikhoi a language. That's why it's got a gibberish gggg because it comes from Hinduism, Vedic Hinduism. It's not the click language of the San. Not mentioned in history books. Vanquished. So how do you know? Well, these temples have been found all over South Africa. Mm-hmm. I found two, for example, in Amanus. It was on uh, television. On ETV, they found another Hindu temple in the Eastern Transvaal. The facts are there. Mm-hmm. But not in the history books. But not in the history books. Let's contemplate that while we listen to another song, Carpet Crawlers. Why carpets? Two songs involving carpets. Carpet Crawlers with Genesis. Correct. And that was a conceptual album by Peter Gabriel, Hmm. The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. It was his last album, and then he claims in his single, Salisbury Hill, he walked out of the machine. Of course, Peter Gabriel is... An, a, a regular visitor to South Africa with various causes. And, of course, the great drummer, Phil Collins. So you've got incredible musicians. But this was, for me, the lyrical dimension of the song. We're moving through time to a heavy wooden door. I love that lyric. There is lambs all under my naked feet. The one is soft and warm gives off some kind of heat. Salamander scurries into flame to be destroyed. Imaginary creatures are trapped in birth on celluloid. The fleas cling to the golden fleece, hoping they'll find peace. Each thought and gesture. A card in satellite There's no hiding the memory There's no wrong to hide The crawlers cover the floor In the red oak corridor On my second side of people They more lifeblood than before They're moving in time To a heavy wooden door Where the needle's eye is winking Closing on the pole The carpet crawlers Eat their corners We gotta get in to get out We gotta get in to get out Faces that I see 
the chambers said to be Like the forest fight, the sunlight That takes root in every tree They are pulled up by the magnet Leaving their feet Group Genesis. Correct. Okay. That was another choice of my guest on this week's edition of People of Note here on Fine Music Radio, uh, Shiloh Noon. Shiloh we know as a broadcaster here at Fine Music Radio and at other radio stations. He's also an author and a poet. And we're talking about his latest book called A Bicycle, a Chess Set, an African River. And just because I've mentioned the title now, Shiloh, this business of a chess set, you mentioned the whole New York thing. How does that, how did you, what's that all about? Well, I'm, I am a chess teacher in the townships. I teach at Zwilikli. I used to, uh, under Mr. Shabalala, and now I teach at Waldorf, which is the poorest Waldorf school, to Zimbabwe children in, in Amanus. I've been a chess player since the 70s. I was Western Province. I've played chess all my life. 
and it's a it's a sport, not a game, which inspires me. And I've seen the change in school children regarding mathematics and science. Also, chess teaches you temper, and it teaches you marketing and strategy. And so the book was an inspiration. Obviously, I was doing a time when Amanus was taken hostage politically. And the little children would come up to me and grab me by the jeans and say, and look up at me with these little eyes and say, Coach, are we going to die? And I took the emotions of that experience coupled with an article on the Internet where it said that Zulu children would wade across a crocodile-infested Tugela River to attend school. I took those two experiences, and that was the inspiration for the book. But each character is based on a character in my life. So people say, but nowhere in the book does it say it's fiction. I call it fictional reality. Okay, because the lead character, the narrator, as it were, in the book, Pat Simmons, you say you base that on yourself. Correct. And there's a very colorful Roman Catholic priest, Angus. That was based on actor Richard Harris when he played in the Adamson family, The Lion Story. I, I'm a great uh, follower of Richard Harris. I think he was one of the greatest actors. And for me, he, he had a great love for Africa. Mm. He, he was almost Rhodesian in his mannerism. Oh, yes. So... Each character, yes, is based on someone in my life. Including Edna. Edna Edna was my aunt. She was a doting (laughs) aunt. But she's your wife in the book. She's my wife, but she was actually my aunt. Okay, okay. A real Edna. And the uh, African River plays in... I mean, the book seems to hover between horror attacks by crocodiles and the awful things crocodiles do, and as we said, the beauty of an African night or the distant bark of our hyena. So there's a lyrical quality, but gosh, there's a a rough quality as well. Well, Africa is not for sissies. I mean, anybody knows you can't remove the sadness of Africa or the horror of Africa, or the tragedy of Africa, because then you're, not, then you're living in an El Dorado, and mm. everybody that lives in South Africa or in Africa knows it's a tough, it's a tough continent. And the Mubaluzi River, which is on the border of uh, Eswatini and Mozambique, is crocodile infested. The Mubaluzi means wolf, which obviously related to hyena, not wolf. Mm. And that river is a river that you have to cross every day to go and teach chess. And you have to stand on the bank and you have to, and at low tide it's even worse because the crocodiles, they dig themselves into the mud. And at high tide, of course, you cross a rope bridge. And of course, you know, crocodiles lurch directly 90 degrees upwards. And many were taken. And those people, this is a fact, many people that have died of crocodile attacks or mamba attacks, our political past, those people weren't even mentioned. They're not even on record. You'd, you um, mentioned our apartheid past because I was trying to work out, and I suppose one shouldn't get bogged down with this, when this book is set, because at one stage you talk about the imminent release of Nelson Mandela. You talk about our own Leslie McKenzie on the radio giving news about poachers and the KwaZulu-Natal war. Um, these are things that happened, but as a, that's why I speak of a parallel universe that you sort of created with this book. I passed through the KwaZulu wars. In a Nissan one-ton bucky with a mate of mine, uh, Jacques Kazimov. Uh, Mr. Kazimov owned the uh, the spur in Stellenbosch. And we ran into quite a bit of trouble, uh, apart from being knocked out by a rhino at, at the Shishri Park. But the KwaZulu War was a, a definitive happening in South Africa. And there was a fantastic movie called Bang Bang Club about it. It was preempting the appointment of Nelson Mandela. Mm-hmm. The tension mm-hmm. was climatic. 
it was probably far worse than what uh, was actually represented on the news because we didn't want to create that that aura or that representation during the appointment of Nelson Mandela. And when, in this particular book, when the poachers come from Mozambique and they abduct the children, the South African government did not want to get involved. It was a hot potato. Uh, you know, Mozambique was now our, well, the future president of Mozambique would be the wife of Nelson Mandela. And, of course, Mozambique, which was once our enemy, was now our friend. Mm. We were certainly not going to send military in to go and look for children. But there's a very dramatic and very troubling scene early on in the book where poachers come across and attack the school where you went to teach chess, and including whacking you on the head with the butt of a rifle and killing people until the Roman Catholic priest came and <laughs> shot them. Well, shot them. It's quite a war the, scene. Well, the, Ro- <laughs> the Roman Catholic priest was an ex-mercenary from the Congo. And he happened to keep some weaponry behind, yes. uh, so much for redemption. But I think one has to understand, okay, because further on into the book, we talk about Ramos Rivera, the poacher, yeah. the other side to life. Here was a man or a peoples that was promised free education, medical by the communist government, and they let them down. And now they were resorting to barbarism. They were resorting to abduction. They were resorting to uh, poaching. And there's an incredible part where the children come onto this little island and the wives of the poachers receive them warmly and hug them. And you need to understand the poacher is also a man, like the terrorist who was a maybe a freedom fighter to one and a terrorist to another. He's also a man with a wife and children living a life and believing in something. A good example would be the communist, you know, but when you go out there and you meet the Russian who you're fighting against or the Cuban in Angola, he's a man with a wife and children. He's an ardent Catholic or Russian Orthodox believer. And you suddenly realize war is a terrible thing because of the enemy is just like you. Well, exactly. There's a lovely line from Wilfred Owen, the First World War poet that Benjamin Britten uses in his War Requiem, where these two meet two enemies, German and British, and the poem opens, I think it opens with, you are the enemy I killed, my friend, because we are all fundamentally human, aren't we? Absolutely. Shiloh, let's have another piece of music, Curved Air. We are away from carpets for the moment. <laughs> Curved Air was, um, you're going to enjoy the viola, oh. the um, a beautiful voice, and what is uh, the, the, the group Curved Air was actually, the name was taken from Terry Riley's minimalist album Rainbow in a Curved Air, but this is very folky. Melinda, more or less, Melinda, more or less, Melinda, more or less, a dream. But if and when she wakes again, she knows it all begins again. Sleeping, waking, rising, falling, down, but falling out to death and breath. That's how it ends. Oh, Melinda, more or less a dream Melinda, more or less Melinda, more or less a dream 
you won't be played like any other instrument of fate. a song called Melinda more or less performed by the group Curved Air and another choice of my guest Shiloh Noon on Fine Music Radio and People of Note and reminding us Shiloh of your program Songcatcher the sort of sounds we're hearing by the way do you know a question I've always wanted to ask you is Shiloh Noon your real name my original name was Edward Julian Bartholomew Noon very Catholic and when I went to Israel I wanted a Hebrew name because I had been baptized in the Jordan, which I'm very proud of, um, which I shouldn't be proud of because it's a sin, but I was baptized in the Jordan. And I wanted a Hebrew name, and I changed my name from Edward Julian Bartholomew to Shiloh. Okay. Well, how did you end up in Israel, by the way? It was the only country that would take backpackers in the 70s without any work visa. You could find work there very easily. Mm-hmm. So but there's a story that you... <laughs> rode out of South Africa on a horse, is that true? Uh, not quite on a horse, on a pony. I had some problems with my political poetry, and a Mr. Lake in Matatiela assisted me. He had trade stores in Lesotho. So I escaped through Lesotho on a pony. Uh, the herder was a stonemason, and it was an horrendous experience sitting on these ponies looking down at massive chasms and snow-filled mountains around you, straight out of Lord of the Rings. Mm, gosh. And you just looked ahead. The pony knew where he was going or she was going, and you just you didn't look down. And it was one of my great experiences and one of my most fearful experiences in my entire life. But I knew if I stayed, I mean, at one stage I was lying in the ceiling of our house while Bureau of State Security were interviewing my mother, and I was lying in the ceiling listening to everything that's been said, and I couldn't bring this upon my parents. Yeah. I knew I had to leave. So at that relatively young age, how old would you have been then? You were still 
1920-21 in that area. Okay. And you were writing poetry at I was stage. writing poetry against uh, the government heavily, which got into this, a lot of the Stellenbosch magazines. And it didn't help that I was dating a girl called Lucy who was actually gun-running <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> I only found that out later, uh, yeah. you know, and the little trips we were doing up to Natal, I didn't know, had boxes strapped under the combi, you know, with AK-47s in. So that didn't help me either. No, I'm sure I didn't, didn't know about that. Yeah, you know? okay, then you're forgiven. But um, in the process of all this uh, turbulence and political poetry and all that, you, in your book, the one that we've been discussing today, A Bicycle, A Chess Set, An African River, you are quite critical of colonialism, I am critical of colonialism, colonial, colonialism because it's based on ego and money. But I am also one to agree that along with that train came good people that were not, you know, ministers, priests, good people that were part of that system. And in any system you will find good or bad people. Mm. So colonialism, as much as an evil trait, the aspects of colonialism did bring a lot of good infrastructure into a country, and we can't walk away from that. Railroads, for example, is a good example. Education, uh, Christian, Christian, if anything, a Christian upbringing, man, good mannerly and protocol, good English language. One of the reasons why today a lot of South Africans are teaching English in China and Korea and they can't find work anywhere else is because the basis of a South African English, trust me, is some of the finest English because a lot of those British uh, soldiers, officers, for example, uh, married Afrikaans women. Another fact that has been faded and not spoken about too often. I'm an example of that. Come from Afrikaans family with an Irish-blooded father. But I think if you look at the past, a lot of what we are now is because of the past. You can't remove the past. The past is what we are now. You can certainly take away or remove some of the elements that you find evil. But, you know, I got a problem, for example, if you remove a statue of a tribute to the Great War. I've got a problem with that. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think people in Africa realize that they would have also suffered if those soldiers hadn't given their lives during the Great War or the Second World War. It yeah. was a bad time for everybody. Abyssinia suffered. Uh, Northern Africa suffered. Mm -hmm. So... I'm not one to say that colonialism was totally evil. I mean, even during the time of the apartheid, poor old Colin Eglin and PFP, we were helpless. We tried to make a stand. But the people that didn't agree with apartheid were just a small little drop in the ocean. Absolutely. Gosh. And what work they did, Colin Eglin, Helen Sisman, for example, who was in Parliament for so long alone. Um, apart from Israel, have you traveled widely? Shai? I've traveled very widely. There's certain countries, South America I've lived in. I've lived in Israel, Europe. I have never been to North America. I have never been to Australia. Can't handle an accent, you know, the flies. <laughs> I'll never go there. And okay. I've been to the Far East and the Middle East. But India. you've always come. Oh, but India clearly had quite a big effect on you spiritually and musically and philosophically. Philosophically, musically, not anymore. But I've learned a lot about India, and I understand India. I understand India and the poverty I understand, and I think they are an amazing people. Would you call yourself a spiritual person? Yes, I would. It's been the, the folly of my life, actually. <laughs> Why do you say the folly? Well, I started going out of my body. I had tremendous problems when I was a young person. 
it was really a big problem, and this is, and I say this with absolute seriousness, because I was actually put into uh, a mental asylum because of it uh, during the, the military period of my life mm-hmm. in War 22. So a footrecker worker, and it was a big problem. And thanks to a woman called Cynthia Mule, who was giving transcendental TM back in the 70s, she explained it to me in a more adequate way. Many ministers, priests came to me and they could not uh, help me or assist me. Mm-hmm. Because you were part, you were called up to the border wars, weren't you? Katina Malilo comes up in I the think, book as well. I think we were all, you know, in, most South Africans, whether they liked it or not, had no choice. Mm. I was not a good military soldier, unlike my granddad who survived Delvalwood and my father was in the British Navy in the General Botha. I was not a good soldier. I was, I wasn't an officer. The only thing that I learned from that is I had a good relationship with Hassan and they taught me how to track and I had a, a kind of a spiritual connection with Hassan. That's the only good thing I can speak about in my military so-called career. Okay. Okay. Another song, Shiloh. Blues run the game. Yes. Wherever I go in the world, whether you say it's a, a country without problems. This was written by Jackson C. Frank on the Queen Elizabeth. And I find the song very relative. I walk the Camino Compostela and I use this particular piece of music in my little uh, YouTube uh, movie. And no matter what country you go to, you will find problems. And my feeling is the blues run the game. From Paris to London, the blues run the game. Catch a boat to England, baby, and maybe to Spain. Wherever I have gone, wherever I've been and gone, wherever I have gone, the blues are all the same. Send out for whiskey, baby, send out for gin. Me and room service, honey Me and room service, babe Me and room service, well, we're living a life of sin When I'm not drinking, baby, you are on my mind When I'm not sleeping, honey when I ain't sleeping, mama, when I'm not sleeping, you know you'll find me crying. Try another city, baby, another town, wherever I have gone. Wherever I've been and gone, wherever I have gone, the blues come following down. Living is a gamble, baby, loving's much the same. Wherever I have played, Whenever I throw them dice, wherever I have played the blues, I 
have run the game Maybe tomorrow, honey, someplace down the line I'll wake up older, so much older, mama I'll wake up older, and I'll just stop all my trying Catch a boat to England, baby Maybe to Spain Wherever I have gone Wherever I've been and gone Wherever I have gone The blues are all the same song there called Blues Run the Game by who, Jackson C. Frank. Jackson C. Frank. Shiloh Noon is my guest. Shiloh, we're racing towards the end of the program. The more riveting the uh, subject and the guest, the quicker the time seems to go. But um, there are a few things that we, we wanted to mention. For example, you are quite passionate about shaman. Shamanism. Shamanism. Yes, Lawrence van der Post actually um, gave me the full inquisition on that when I was recovering in a Springbok clinic after being airlifted out. I lived with Hassan for a while. Uh, things didn't go too well with myself health-wise. But uh, shamanism is really otherworldly, mm-hmm. and it's just portals, portals and dimensions that these witch doctors use for many reasons. I certainly wouldn't recommend it to anybody uh, <laughs> that hasn't been gifted with it from birth. You can't learn to be a shaman. You know, one of the things, going back to your book before we end, A Bicycle, A Chess Set, An African River, uh, one of the shouts on the thing say, this book is as much about recognizing the intricate patterns of life as is about life skills and the resilience of the human spirits. Um, so you've written it in such a way, certainly I found uh, it makes you stop and think. It makes you slow down. It makes you ponder. Is this obviously what you wanted to achieve? Yes, it's exactly what I wanted to achieve. I wanted people to take a breath mm. and think about the marula tree, for example, and the healing properties of a marula tree. Yeah. I wanted people to think about an elephant blessing. I wanted people to think twice when they look at a, a fish eagle sitting on a, on a tree and ponder life. Uh-huh. Not the lilies of the field. <laughs> We've got lots more. Yes, especially in Africa. But now you let slip while the music was playing about Netflix being interested in making a film of this book. Is this true? It's one hundred. Yes. What has happened? Warren Bachelor uh, has already assigned a film script writer. The brochure went to Netflix. They were very interested, but during the political rights of America, and they also felt the brochure was a bit white euro. Yeah. So yeah. they've told me to go back and give it a. A B-E-E embroidery, we all know where that's at. Yet, actually, the white yarrows all come sick or come off second best. Mm-hmm. And actually, the Zulus come off pretty well in this book. But they didn't read the book. It was obviously the brochure reflection. But it's happening. Oh, that, but that's excellent news, Shiloh, if that happens. Um, and is it the only book so far of yours that has had this uh, possibility? Because yes. you have written a number of books. No, this is the only one. I would, I'd great hopes for a novel that never saw the light of day called The Witches of Sock, which I'm holding back which may have release in years to come. Okay. 
But the other thing about this book that I think is important is that you can get it delivered free of charge, can't you? Correct. Naledi Publishers have offered a, a COVID cautionary deal, and it's actually pretty unbelievable because I think it's in the region of about 240 rand. That includes the courier and the book to your door, a signed copy. I believe you have the SMS number there. I do, and I shall give you the SMS number, 78 648-8616. Call us here at the studio if you missed that. If you want a copy of this book, which is called A Bicycle, a Chess Set in African River by Shiloh Noon, SMS CHESS to 078-648-8616. I might also say that they're busy stocking up all exclusives as we speak, and that should be all within a week or two. All exclusive books will have copies of the book. Yeah, Charlotte, it's got a tremendous flow, this book. Did it come out of you very quickly or did it very take easily. you years The story was write? in me. It, it flowed unbelievable. I certainly never had a writer's block. It just yeah. just flowed like a river, like the Mubaluzi River. Okay, and this little, one more question, this little town, I think it's called Goba or Gobo. Is there such a place? Yes, indeed. Fictitious? Blood Diamond was formed there. Blood Diamond was, was formed there. around the area of Goba, and it is really on the border of the Namacha swamps with Mozambique on the one side and, of course, Eswatini, Old Swaziland, on the other side. Okay. And what made you set it there, just as a matter of interest? It reflected the Labombo Mountains, where the poachers come across. It was a crocodile-infested river. And, uh, you know, I always feel sorry for Swaziland because Shaka invaded them. So even their shield is very much the Naguni Zulu shield. And half the Swazis are actually Zulu in a sense. Mm. Well, they're right next to Zuland, really, aren't they? Correct. Charlie, we'll leave it there because um, you've certainly wet appetites, I should think, uh, for – do you have a website? Can people go and see what you've written? And I don't have a website, but Naledi Online have a website where you can read a little bit more about the book. There's some prominent people that have made very positive comments. Steve Siegerman, who discovered Rodriguez, uh, the guy wrote Morphe. Carl van Amava thinks the book is incredible. So this is very good news for me. I'm very, very hopeful this book will change lives and bring light into darkness. Well, Shadow, it's been fascinating talking to you. I have to say, you brought some light into the studio <laughs> while we were doing this program. Thank you, Rodney. Um, what's your last piece of music? What are you going to leave us with? Tudor Lodge. Tudor Lodge is a British band, and it's all about self-seeking. And what it basically says in the lyrics is, you can have all the priests and you can have all the gurus telling you what to do, but only you will find your redemption in your special place. There you are. Wise words from my guest, Shiloh Noon. Here's Tudor Lodge. Help me find myself.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. FMR.